welcome everybody to the Crosspoint Church uh, Scripture Podcast. Um, it's so great to be with you guys. I love the Bible. I love um, the subject. Um, honestly, I could get tired of it, you know, in the course of one day, but I wake up the next day wanting to get back into it, and that is God's honest truth. Um, the Bible is so interesting, and uh, it's one of those things, like, some things can be so disappointing, so... You know, you go to an amusement park when you're a little kid and it's like heaven on earth and you just can't understand why the adults around you do not understand that this is miles of pure bliss. And then you get older, older, and you take a closer, closer look at the amusement park and pretty soon you're kind of like, man, this is like just a big vacuum hose to get money out of my wallet and it's just not as cool as it used to be. Now, that might be my own uh, cynicism speaking there, but I think you get what I'm talking about. Some things that are awesome, you pay more and more attention to, and they get less and less awesome. Um, I have found the Bible to be the exact opposite. Uh, it's awesome. I knew that when I was a kid, and with the flannel board, uh, with Jonah and the whale, and uh, the children of Israel walking across on dry land and so on. Okay, I already knew there was something pretty cool there. But the more and more I've looked at it throughout my life, uh, it, the more awesome it gets. It repays lots and lots of study. And I think that's so important. So that's what keeps me so enthusiastic about the Bible. We really live in a culture where, man, things wear out fast. Things that are the absolute coolest thing ever on Monday, no one cares about anymore on Wednesday, you know? So it can be really tough. But the Bible is not that way, and as Christians, we are wise to anchor our lives in the Scriptures and to stop with the one-verse-per-day habit of just kind of dipping our little pinky finger in the water of the Bible. We have to, we have to watch that, okay? Now, these are if there was ever a time, now's the time in our culture to really get deep into the Bible and figure out what it says and what it means and just keep going with it and let it shape us and shape our character and shape what we see, who we see God to be. Okay, so that's why we do the Crosspoint Church Scripture Podcast. Why am I saying all that? Because that's, when I say I'm enthusiastic for it, it's not because I'm such a good person. It's because it's got a hold of me. You know what I mean? It's just got a hold of me. I don't try, I don't have to try to love chocolate ice cream. It just has me way down deep inside, you know, and I just love it. And even more so, the Bible has just got a hold on me. When I'm lost, it helps me get found. When I don't know what to do, scriptures help me. When I'm wondering about God, they help me. When I need my sinful attitude diagnosed and corrected, um, the Bible helps me, and on and on and on. When I need encouragement, it's there. When I need revelation, it's there. Uh, when I need to know Jesus more, it's there. When I need more, you know, um, ammunition for my prayers, it's there. So I just love the Bible. And so that's why we love to do the Scripture Podcast. And so today will be no exception, okay? So let's dig in. Um, to, we're going to take um, the verse of the day from you version, which today happens to be from 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. It's actually two verse verse of the day, <laughs> but I'm not going to call you version and uh, complain. You know, they're giving me more of what I love. So it's a two verse verse of the day. And we got kind of a special episode, you know, God willing, because we could have, you know, you never know what's going to happen. For one, the flood might float us away, but um, God willing, we're on Thursday, we're going to have a special episode because um, our uh, master, master of all things technical and uh, wizard of the wires, uh, Easton Walker, 
um, gave us a request of a verse. And since he's here anyway, I said, dude, why don't you get on a microphone and give your request and we'll try to dialogue a little bit about it. You tell me where, what you're wondering and some things you've heard and let's see if we can tell from the context and where we see Jesus in the verse and so on like that. Let's see if we can get somewhere. So it's an experiment. We'll see. Uh, Easton might lose his faith right on, on camera, so to speak. Or he might just be strengthened and doing better. Preferably the latter. He wants the latter. So, But there's high stakes here, so tune in uh, to that episode because it's going to be a little different. And uh, we do hope to get some other guest uh, appearances and some other conversations on here. So just know we're working on it, okay? But for now, we just have the good old meat and potatoes. So here we go with First John uh, chapter 2 verses 1 and 2, and it reads like this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So that's a mouthful right there. It's almost, uh, it looks like it's almost close to a paragraph. Um, it, what's nice about speaking context-wise, okay, because you know that's one of the first things we look at here. The big context is this is a letter from a church leader named John. A lot of uh, research to say it's the same John that wrote Revelation and the Gospel of John and so on. A lot of research to say it isn't, so uh, most of these letters are anonymous, so we have to just work with the research we have. But um, nonetheless, this is a church leader, John, and he is... Um, this letter is addressed to a church, okay? So we can, that's the larger context. And what's nice about the context is this is um, chapter one, verse one. So there's nothing that came before. So it makes our job a little bit easier. Um, at chapter two, verse one. So it's the beginning of the chapter, it makes our job a little bit easier. But um, we still need to look into it. So it's possible that, that chapter one ends in a way that will help us. So we'll look at that. But what will probably matter more is what comes after this, okay? So let's read it again. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And then uh, what was the original author trying to say to his original audience? What was John trying to say to his um, original church audience? You want to know what's really sweet about these two verses is that he really couldn't make it more plain, could he? (laughs) You know, can we apply this to us? Yes. Was John right specifically to us? No. But he makes it so plain that it's easy for us to see what he was trying to say to them. So first of all, I love how he addresses them. So I'm a pastor for a living. And um, I don't always think of the people at my church as my little children, you know, that kind of fatherly, close, love, forgiving, joy, taking joy in the people that you lead. I should, you know, and I'm thankful that John did. Uh, And so it's a lesson to me right away, but that's how he addresses them. Isn't that cool? And I know, like, I think maybe in 21st century America, calling people my little children you could be thinking that he's being condescending like he has contempt for them and he's kind of thinking of them as children and he's a grown-up i get that that's completely fair but from this first century context here that's the first furthest thing from his mind the idea is that love dearness value 
forgiveness, longing for them that you feel for your kids. That's that's what John's talking about here. It's not a in any way like you guys are down there. So he says, my little children, and you'd be like, John, why are you writing to us? And he says, here's why I am writing these things to you. <laughs> it's pretty neat. And his goal is very plain. I, I don't want you to sin. That's why I've written these things to you. And you might say, what things? And that kind of leads us into um, a little of the context that came before. So if we look at um, chapter 1 in First John, right at the end, he says this. So this is First uh, John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him, talking about Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So some real powerful words there about forgiveness and sin and all this. Well, John, why did you tell us that? Why did you tell us to walk in the light as he is in the light? Why did you tell us that if we confess our sins, then the blood of Jesus washes us from all sin? Why are you telling me this? He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's his whole point. He wants to kill sin in our lives. And he's going about it in a way that can be somewhat opposite uh, to what some brands of evangelical Christianity have done, and it's this. It's the whole idea that the biggest thing you need to know is you're forgiven and you're going to heaven. So it almost doesn't matter what you do. And that's really poisonous because it's not what the Bible says. You are forgiven, and God does have a place for you in heaven. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and confessed your sins, you do. He has a place for you. But the huge aim, the heart of, you know, right near the, the heart of the New Testament is God wanting to reform our character, to build us in the image of Christ, which would mean killing sin in our lives. And that's what John is saying. He's saying, knowing that you're forgiven by God, knowing that Jesus Christ died and paid the price for your sin, is a tool. It's a weapon. It's a foundation to stand on so that you can take all the life out of. That's what it means to kill something. To take all the life out of your sin. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And then he knows the reality. You notice how he ended chapter 1? What did he say? If we say we have no sin, we lie. So this is not for perfectionism. This is people who are aiming at growing up, at killing the sin we know about in our lives. It's a day-to-day struggle. It's something that will be with us until we die. But we need to be fighting it. And so he's saying, I'm writing the, this is your tools to fight it. Know that God loves you. Know that you've been forgiven so that you'll come close to him and walk in the light and in fellowship with other people. Because if you live in shameless fellowship with God and with other people, it will continually be killing that sin in your life and bringing you closer and closer to God and making you in the image of Christ. But if anyone does sin, so there's that reality right there. It's going to be in your life. It is. You're going to be growing, but it's there. If anyone does sin, just know we have an advocate with the Father. You can stay with the Father because you have an advocate with the Father. 
You can know God doesn't hate you because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Verse 2, he is the propitiation for our sins. He, Jesus, was what was owed for our sin. Jesus paid what was owed. The wrath of God against you for how you had robbed him of the righteousness that is owed to God. The fact that your life that he gave to you, you've used it to, to do your own thing and to go against him and to sometimes work with his enemy. What is owed because of that? Life. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God it is salvation through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is the propitiation. That's a 50-cent word meaning Jesus Christ the righteous was what was owed. He laid down his life for us so that the wrath of God, the penalty for sin, has been paid. You don't owe it anymore. If you put your faith in Jesus, your bill is coming back paid so that you can be close to God and know that he loves you and that your sins will not be counted against you so that you can get close to him and stop sinning. Okay, He is the propitiation for our sins. And then John goes on to say, this is a worldwide gospel. It's not just for you and it's not just for the audience that he was writing to. He says he was the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So is the New Testament teaching that everybody already knows God? Jesus already wiped away all their sins. No, he's saying what was owed for the sin of the whole world was paid in Jesus Christ so that where everybody is going when they die is God's business. That's not our business. I don't have to judge who's where with God. But I can know and I need to know that with all of my neighbors, anybody who I encounter in life, anyone who's near to me, I can offer them the gospel. I can know that I am talking to the right person, no matter who I'm talking to. If I say, hey, I need you to know Jesus has been everything to me. He died for my sins. He's God, and he's given me a new life. I owed a penalty. That's why the guilt and the shame why I was trying to stay away from God and try to live my own life. And I've realized through the gospel of Jesus Christ that God already paid that, that I could be reunited with him, that if I walked in the light as he is in the light, then I have fellowship with God and other people, and Jesus' blood cleanses me from all sin. When I give that gospel to a neighbor, a friend, the postman, anybody, you know what I'm saying, anybody, I can know I'm talking to the right person because the Bible says Jesus paid what was owed for everybody. So you don't have to avoid, well, are they of a different religion? Can I know that Jesus died for their sins? Yeah, Jesus died for their sins. Tell them the gospel. Live the gospel in front of them. Be the best neighbor they've ever had. Love sacrificially. Show them the gospel because Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. That's Their, their future and all that is in God's hands, but um, that's what he was trying to say, is that Jesus is the propitiation not only for our own sins but for those of the whole world. So in there is not only confidence for us and the ability and the tools we need to stop sinning, but it's a part of the worldwide call of the gospel. Um, it's a worldwide gospel. Why can't Christians just mind their own business and stay in their own little lane and let, leave other people alone? Well, we do need to leave other people alone as far as we don't need to be judging people. We of all people shouldn't be judging, condemning, and, and being nasty to people. But we do unapologetically need to live the gospel out in front of people, and we do want other people to become Christians. There's no doubt about that. If you love someone, you want them to know Jesus. You're not in control of whether they do or not, and you certainly shouldn't argue, browbeat, accuse, condemn, and avoid people so that they'll become a Christian. That's not what Jesus did for you. So you offer. You're just making an offer. 
but you can make it because he's the propitiation for our sins, okay? And then, so let's see what, just by going on to the context of verse 3, let's see if it shines any more light on it. It says this, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, verse 4, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Okay? So it goes on to say, I'm writing to you because I don't want you to sin. When you do sin, know you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You don't need to worry about the penalty. It's been paid. So don't leave. Don't add more sin to sin by letting your guilt drive you away. You're forgiven, but you need to come close. We know we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. So there's actually a test here when you're wondering, am I a Christian? You don't look and say, how much of the Bible do I read? How many verses do I have memorized? How much money do I give to the church? How often do I go to church? No. Jesus said, you'll know you love me because my word will mean enough for you that you'll keep it. That you'll say, Jesus, I want to keep your word. Well, what happens when I screw up? Just say, I'm not a perfect Christian. I know. Apparently, no one is. That's why the Bible always has this in here. Say, when you do mess it up, come back. That's keeping God's word, too. You need to remember that. Keeping Jesus' word, keeping his commandments because you love him, includes saying you're sorry when you didn't do it and coming back to him. Confession and repentance are Christian. When you confess your sin and repent and come back, you are keeping Jesus' word. Isn't that cool? A lot of people think it's only the positive side. You only ever do good things, only ever do what Jesus would do, then you're a Christian. If you ever do anything that you he wouldn't, you're, you're bad. That's not true. We don't tolerate sin in our lives. We don't pat it on the head. We don't say it's okay. We don't wink at it. But when we have it, when we have found ourselves lost in a sin, we confess and repent, and that is keeping Jesus' word. Okay, so I don't want to get too off in that, but that's whoever says I know him but refuses to confess and repent their sin, refuses to stop sinning, that person needs to doubt that they know Jesus. They need to seriously doubt that they know him. If you are living your Christian life, you're like, I don't ever need to confess or repent any sin. You need to be afraid. You have found yourself in a very strange and bad place. If you say, I don't sin, I don't have those sorts of problems, but I love Jesus, not good. According to First John, you know, chapter 2 here, that is not good. You need to be worried that maybe Jesus doesn't dwell in you and with you, okay? But that's to know that might be the best news you've ever heard because you can be like, okay, I don't have the real thing, but I need to get it. All right, well, so much in these two um, verses here, but just good stuff. Um, I hope the context, I do think the context has really helped us here. First John is such a clear letter. It's got such good stuff in it. I can't recommend it enough. It's just good things there, for, especially for living the Christian life. Um, last of all, where can we see Jesus in these verses? Um, our job there is easy because Jesus are actually, is actually in these verses, as you saw in, in verse 1. At the end, he's our advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So Jesus loves you. He loves you individually, and he also loves this world. You know, we have John 3.16. The love of the Father for the world caused him to send his only Son, that whoever would put their faith in him would not perish but have eternal life. People need to go on and read John 3.17 
for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might have life and that more abundantly. So Jesus did not come to get you. He came to love you. He came to reunite you with the Father. He has charged his church with the, with the ministry of reconciliation. We're not supposed to go out into the world to condemn the world. We're supposed to go out into the world to offer life through Jesus Christ. We need to be walking away from sin. Jesus refused to sin. He refused to make friends with the devil. He refused to do anything but what his father told him to do. People encouraged him to sin, to back off. To The Bible says he was tempted in every way as we were. The reason why he walked away from the temptation was he didn't sin because he knew the Father. He loved his Father and he kept his Father's commitments, his commandments and his word. And so um, it's easy to see Jesus in these verses because he is in him. All right. Hey, good stuff here. I know I've been challenged. I'm looking at these things like, oh, I got some uh, business to do with God. So maybe you're feeling the same way and that's good. We need to welcome that feeling. You say, man, I, I need to get a little closer to God here and there. That's good. We shouldn't be afraid of those feelings need to grab him, know that you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, and come his way, okay? He loves you. He laid down his life for you. Okay, um, great verses here from First John. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, you know how to get to us. Uh, we're working really hard to get on Apple Podcasts, and uh, Easton is slaving away day and night to make that happen. So it will happen, so you'll be able to see us on there pretty soon. And uh, just keep keep look, look uh, looking for the podcast. We'll see. We'll talk to you later. Be looking for our special episode coming up, which will be a little more conversational. I'll see you next time.